So let me begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are once again privileged to come before you to reflect on our calling and purpose as uh, your remnant in this place. And we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know um, how to follow the example of um, the, the many faithful saints of scripture and, and the church who have gone before us. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that um, tonight we would have the opportunity to reflect on those examples and reflect on our calling and go forth as a people committed to uh, work transformation in the name of Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, so I'm going to just quickly share my screen with you. There we go. You guys can see that, I hope. Okay, um, so <clears throat> we don't have time tonight to go back through every all the recapping. So I gave you a bunch of slides about what we've discussed already so that you can see those notes. Um, I just wanna talk about two things that we've discussed previously. Um, the, the first is um, the, the very first week we met, um, we talked about this idea of a mental adjustment to, to adjusting to this, this concept that we are a spiritual minority in our country as believers. Um, and that's not a bad thing. And that that is in line with the large, really actually the consistent story of the people of God throughout the Bible, that from the beginning all the way to the end, the people of God, those who are truly faithful to God, are a minority. The, the language of scripture is a remnant. Uh, and so um, we, we've been talking about our identity as a remnant, but I just want to reemphasize that concept. This isn't something that shows up um, just in our era. Uh, it's, a, it's a concept that's been the case throughout the whole story of the Bible. Okay, um, I'm just going to skip these ideas. They're there for you. We've discussed them already. Um, I will just quickly recap what we discussed last week. Last week, we talked about standing up and standing out as the spiritual minority or the remnant. And uh, I made the point that our distinctiveness comes from standing out um, from something, right? So we stand up from death and lies and up for truth and life. Uh, and so in that vein, uh, as we are standing up and standing out, it's important to remind ourselves that we're not standing against other people. We're standing against you know, our spiritual enemy. People are those that we're trying to, to save and redeem, or at least um, help Christ save and redeem. He does that work. The other piece that we mentioned last week that I think is important to be reminded of uh, is as we think about what it means to stand up and stand out. It's not that there are certain times we make a concerted effort to be noticed as a Christian. It's that we are consistent in our Christian behavior. And at certain times, the rest of the world changes. Uh, and when they sit down, we are more noticeable. We've been standing all along. Uh, and then last but not least, last week, we talked about this idea that our model for standing up and standing out is Jesus, um, who is extraordinarily distinctive in his day, um, but does so clearly working for redemption in the lives of the people around him, right? Not to win, not to beat them, but to redeem them. Uh, and we specifically ended last week saying that our goal is to cure the disease and not the symptoms of sin. Uh, and so we mentioned that there may be times where um, the, the symptoms can linger on long after the disease itself has been um, defeated by the power of Christ. And we'd like to cure those symptoms eventually, but, but our goal is the disease. Our goal is to bring people to a saving relationship with Jesus. Okay, so tonight, um, I'm going to, again, ask you to begin um, by, so our, our theme tonight is success defined. We're going to talk about, we've had all this conversation about our job as a remnant. How do we know if we've succeeded? Okay. Uh, and as we've done the last few weeks, we're going to begin by asking you to look up some scriptures. Um, so I, I have two I'd like you to look up. You can each pick one, just, just choose whichever one um, sounds exciting to you. Uh, Isaiah chapter two, verses one through four, or Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 to 26. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, or Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 to 26. So I'm going to ask you to look up one of those um, and uh, read it, 
and reflect on what it says about the role of the remnant. Um, these are going to be a little different stories, so we'll talk about it. But what does it say about the job of a remnant? Okay, I'll give you a minute or two at most, and then we'll discuss. Okay, um, these are really different. So maybe we should begin um, by asking um, who is the remnant? So if you read the Isaiah passage, um, you get a sense of who the remnant is in your passage? Or let's, let's ask a different way, who is the minority? Um, in, in the passage. What'd you say, Bob? The Israelites. Okay, fantastic. So, um, and I'm sorry, I know only half of you read this one, so I, I should have read it, but in Isaiah chapter 2, we're told, in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So the Israelites are the minority, right? I mean, there are many nations and peoples that are coming to the people of Israel, coming to the city of Jerusalem, coming to Mount Zion, to learn about and encounter God. Okay, so they're still the spiritual minority in the days to come. What are they doing as the minority or the remnant? I'll give you a hint, it's in verse three. Evangelizing. Yeah, basically. To a certain right? extent. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it, it says, uh, what, we want to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Why do they want to go? Because they want to learn his ways, walk in his paths, because from there comes instruction and the word of the Lord. Right? So something about the people of God that are living in Jerusalem um, is connected to all the people outside Jerusalem learning the word of God um, and walking in God's ways and, and, and learning his paths, okay? Um, if it's not clear, this is an end time story, right? This is what happens at the end of time when um, God wins. Okay, um, Hold that thought, and somebody look at Revelation chapter 21, um, and maybe I, I, will, I will read this because I forgot to read the other one first. So this is a Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 to 26. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. So I know there's not a people named, but what's the um, minority? What's the, um, the remnant in this section? 
this time in Revelation, it's everybody that's left that hasn't been annihilated by all of the other plagues and, and bird killed here, bird killed there, and they're truly the minority. Okay, so uh, yeah, this is excellent. So uh, there's actually levels of minority in this story, right? Or levels of remnant. So they are literally the remnant in the sense of um, after the final judgment, these are the people that pass through judgment and, and get to go live with God forever, right? So they're the remnant in that sense. Uh, they've survived all of the plagues and all of those things, um, or they've been resurrected at least and, and, and given eternal life. Um, but there's something interesting. So, so we're talking about this city, right? This city, this new Jerusalem. And um, we're told that there are nations, this sounds a lot like Isaiah, there are nations that walk by the light of this city, and that there are kings of the earth that bring their splendor into it, uh, and that the glory and honor of the nations come to it. So do you get a similar image to the one in Isaiah where, hey, there's this city um, where God is, and there are people with God in the city. And then there are also all these other peoples and nations that are coming to the city to worship and encounter God. Does that, do you see what their, the, the vision is here for, for John? Um, okay, so, so this is weird, right, for several reasons. Um, it's even weirder in John, I'm sorry, in Revelation, than it is in Isaiah, um, because uh, it's abundantly clear, as Bob said in Revelation, that the only people left are the people that have been saved, right? There's only Christians left at this point, right? And like real Christians, because um, we've had the last judgment already. We've had the resurrection of the dead already. Jesus has already come back. And yet, even at this point, we still get this concept of, you know, this community that's really close to God, and then all the other people that are all Christians. I mean, the kings of the earth are all Christians, right? Because there's nobody left but Christians. But they are coming to the city of Jerusalem to, to encounter God more fully, right? To learn about God even more. Just like in Isaiah, the nations, after world peace has been established, there are still nations streaming to Jerusalem to learn more about the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. Okay, um, this always really confused me when I read these stories, um, because when I used to read these stories and I would say, well, wait a minute, isn't the idea that like after Revelation, everybody's in heaven together and we're all like exactly the same? And so what are these nations that are streaming in to learn more about God? Uh, and this remnant idea is really helpful for me because I want to suggest to you that the concept of a spiritual remnant isn't just one that is retained throughout the entire story of scripture up until Jesus comes back. It's a concept that's maintained throughout the entire story of scripture, including when and after Jesus comes back. Okay, that there is always going to be a remnant, even though at the end of times, everybody's Christian, right? There's still this spiritual minority that's called to help the other people come to know God more fully. Um, and we've, we don't have to get into this in detail right now, but I've, I've mentioned in the past, uh, as I read scripture, I don't think we're all, I don't think heaven is egalitarian, but I, I think that there will be people who have done a better job than me of um, reforming their lives in the image of Christ, and that I will not only learn from Jesus, but I'll also learn from them, right, um, as I'm getting closer to Jesus, who is infinitely um, complex and wonderful since he's God, and I'll never understand all of him, but those who are ahead of me can help me even get closer and closer and closer to being like Jesus, okay? Um, let, me, let me pause. Uh, comments or questions about those two scriptures or this idea that we're playing with right now? Okay, we're going to keep going then. You feel free to stop me if you need to. Um, all right, let me pull these slides back up for a second. Uh, so I, I want to suggest that even in heaven, there's a role for the remnant, right? Uh, on earth, the, the remnant um, is th those who, who believe in, in, and truly are trusting and following God. Um, but in heaven, everybody's doing that. 
but we're not all doing it equally. Uh, and there can still be a component of a, a, a committed group that wants others to come to know God more fully, even in heaven. Um, without sin, uh, the remnant no longer calls people out of darkness into light, uh, but invites people to draw ever closer to the light, right? To, to come to know Jesus more um, forever. <clears throat> uh, and, and, and I think this is a really important idea. And I mentioned this on Sunday, uh, that the, the extraordinary thing about our God is, is he desires to partner with us. And it's not that God wants to partner with us just in this world where sin exists. But before sin was in the world, in the Garden of Eden, God wanted to partner with humanity. And at the end of time, after um, sin and death are totally defeated and Satan is totally defeated and there's a resurrection of the dead, um, even then God wants to partner with us, right? God wants to continue to work with us just like his original plan. Uh, and at that time, just like God's original plan, the goal will be to bless us so that in our partnership, we can bless others, right? That, that God wants to get us involved in his good work, even when sin is gone, right? Because there'll still be good work. God is always working, even though um, uh, before and after sin, okay? Um, and and, and the, I, I, I would just mention this, uh, the end is better than the beginning, so our, our goal is not to get back to a Garden of Eden-like environment where we could sin if we wanted to, right? Um, the goal is to get to a point where, because of Jesus, we don't want to sin anymore, right? And so the, the, the end in Revelation is better than we, where we were at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, and that's really important. We don't want to just suggest we're going to go through a cycle forever. Okay, um, so... Uh, this idea of what success looks like for us, um, uh, I think is tempered by the scriptures that suggest that there will always be a role for the remnant. There's always a role um, of us to be blessed and partnering with God to bless and, and, and invite others to partner with God. Um, so if our goal isn't to go away, what is our goal? Right? If our goal isn't to stop being the minority, what's our goal? Um, so I want to think again tonight about what our what success looks like for us. And I want to say at the very beginning, because of scriptures like these uh, and other reasons we'll discuss, I do not believe our goal as, as the spiritual minority is to become a spiritual majority. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, I don't think it's our, uh, uh, let me, I'm sorry, I didn't say that well. Um, I would love to be a spiritual majority. <laughs> um, I don't think our job is to move from a minority cultural status to a majority cultural status, okay? And there's a big difference there and I gotta unpack that in a minute. Um, so the, the fact that, you know, at the moment, Christians are perhaps uh, in the minority of, of cultural influence in our country, um, my goal as a Christian is not to get back to a time where we have a majority cultural influence, okay? Um, and the reason that's not my, my goal is, is not just because of scriptures that tell me there's always going to be a remnant, but also because there have been seasons when we had a majority cultural influence and it usually went poorly. Um, so I think you know these stories, but just as a, a quick reminder, um, every time that we've gotten back to that status or first to that status of being majority cultural influence, we lost our focus on Jesus. Um, so the, the, the most famous and often quoted example, of course, is the story of the Roman Empire. So for the first 300 years of the church, it was illegal. Um, most of that time, not all of it, it was illegal to be a Christian. And for much of that time, in fact, not only was it illegal to be a Christian, but if you were convicted of Christianity, the sentence was death. And, and during those 300 years, Christianity grew like wildfire, right? I mean, it just exploded everywhere. And, and part of the reason was that you didn't meet any lukewarm Christians, right? Nobody said, I'm going to become a Christian because, you know, somebody down the street said it might make me feel better about myself today. No, it was like, I'm taking my life in my hands with this decision. So I'm only going to make it if I'm fully and completely convinced that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. All of this begins to change in the 300s AD. Uh, Constantine the Great or Constantine the First uh, becomes Emperor of Rome. Uh, there's a, a battle where um, before any has a vision um, of a Christian symbol called the Cairo, and, and he's told under this sign, you will conquer. They paint it on their shields. They win the battle. It's the beginning of his conversion process. Eventually, Constantine becomes a Christian, 
Um, he's the first Roman emperor to be Christian, or at least openly Christian, uh, that I can recall. Uh, and um, he begins the process of making it, dare I say, popular to be Christian. Uh, and you can imagine, right, if the, if the super powerful Roman emperor thinks something is a good idea and you want to curry favor with him, then you start thinking it's a good idea. Uh, Constantine doesn't make it the legal religion of the Roman Empire. That happens later. Um, but uh, he begins this process of, of unifying the, the political and the spiritual. And pretty quickly, the church becomes a majority cultural influence. And unfortunately, a lot of terrible things happen from this. And all of the disaster of the, the spiritual disaster of the Middle Ages, crazy things, right? Like, like two-year-olds becoming bishops because their parents were rich and buy them a bishopric and all this crazy, all of that comes out of this merger um, where people start becoming Christian, not because they deeply love Jesus, but because it's advantageous for them to do so. It's normative for them to do so. Um, okay, uh, boy, lots of other examples. We could talk about the, the Protestant sponsorship during the Reformation. So the, the reformers initially are pushing back against some of the um, the bad practices of the Catholic Church, and then pretty quickly they adopt them themselves, right? So, um, you know, Henry VIII creates his own denomination called the Anglican Church, purely for political reasons. Um, uh, and, and that preservation of their political and cultural power uh, is part of the reason why we look around Europe today and we see many, many beautiful churches and very few Christians. Uh, I would argue um, something similar happened in America in the 1950s and 60s, um, uh, well, 40s and 50s, really, uh, at the peak of Christendom. Um, it became so normative to go to church that people started going to church for all kinds of other reasons. I remember um, my former church in Norfolk, where I am now, um, had the sort of like the popular church, right? If you wanted to be a city council member, if you wanted to get a really... Uh, plush job in a nice law firm, you went to this church because all the, the movers and shakers were there. You didn't necessarily have to go to the church because you loved Jesus, right? It was a social climbing mechanism. Um, because once everybody's going to church, you have to go to church to be with them, right? Even if you don't believe. Uh, so I just want to say this very clearly, um, exchanging spiritual power for cultural or political power is failing, not succeeding, okay? And every time the church has done this, tried to move from a, a cultural minority to a cultural majority um, to trade our spiritual power for cultural or political power, um, it has been disastrous. And so in that sense, I'm not particularly interested in us um, being a, a, a cultural majority again. I, I'm not opposed to it, but it's certainly not my objective. Uh, and I would say um, my objective really begins by saying that I think the minority, the remnant, needs to be moving closer to Jesus, right? That's my first goal. Are we, who claim to follow and love Jesus, growing closer to Jesus? Um, because if that's true, then I think the majority will be attracted to us, right? The, the rest of the world and the rest of secular culture and other philosophies and ideas will say, wow, there's something interesting about those Christians. And um, maybe we're not all going to jump on board, but some of us are. Uh, and even those who don't jump on board are going to say, boy, it's just so interesting the way they do things. Uh, there, there were in the um, first three centuries of the Christian church, a lot of, of non-Christian philosophers who wrote polemics against Christianity uh, and talked about all the reasons they hated it and thought Christianity was terrible. But in the midst of so many of those polemics, they, they pause, these people that are trying to destroy Christianity, and they say, we have to admit that these Christians are exceptionally compassionate towards one another. We have to admit that these Christians show exceeding compassion to people outside their group. And we know that makes them attractive, but please don't believe in their nonsense, right? Even though they seem so wonderful. <laughs> uh, so even though they didn't like us, we're saying, boy, there's something compelling about you. What, what was compelling about us is that we were close to Jesus, right? And Jesus is really compelling. 
Uh, and so I believe that's the goal of the remnant, right, is to get as close to Jesus as possible so that people are compelled um, to, to follow him, not to follow us. Uh, and, and yes, that will bring the majority closer to the minority in that regard, okay? Um, if A, then B, right? If we move closer to Jesus, then the world will be attracted to us. Um, if we just try to attract the world to ourselves and we don't have Jesus, if we're not pursuing Jesus more, it's a disaster. Uh, what we have to offer is Jesus and Jesus' kingdom. You cannot love the kingdom if you do not love the king. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, there have been plenty of times in the history of Christianity um, in our country and, and, you know, in the Middle Ages and the whole history of Christianity, where we have said, hey, um, let's, let's really push our, our kingdom values on the non-Christians around us. And the problem is, um, if you don't love Jesus, you don't understand why you need to do the stuff that Jesus told you to do, right? I mean, that's pretty straightforward and simple, but it's really important. Uh, and so um, our goal is not to convince people that the kingdom values we have are the right values. Our goal is to convince them that the king we have is the right king. If they accept the king, they'll accept the kingdom, right? But the other way doesn't work as well. Um, oh, that was, <laughs> that's funny. That's a note I wrote to myself and not something that was supposed to go on the slides. Um, I, I was simply going to use the illustration that uh, if you are, let's say, um, a, a football team and you want to be better than someone else, we're the Lions and we know we can't ever beat the Packers, but we'd like to beat the Bears once in a while. Um, if your goal is to beat the Bears, uh, then you're never going to be a great football team. If your goal is to be the best team you can be, you might eventually beat the Bears. Right? Uh, in the same way, I don't know if the Lions will ever beat the Bears, but here's hoping. Um, but in, in the same way, if our goal is simply to beat the culture and take back control, um, we might never do that, and we certainly won't be the kingdom Christ calls us to be. If our goal is to get closer to Jesus, not only will we succeed at that, we might also bring um, some of the world to Jesus too. Does that kind of make sense? Um, okay, uh, let, me, let me just pause there for a minute. And I just want to make sure we're tracking, and this is awkward since you're um, there and I'm here. So questions, comments, um, are, are we of an accord? Okay, I'm taking your silence to, to communicate deep, deep agreement. <laughs> All right, I, I'm going to keep going, but I, I just need you to shout out at me if, if um, if you have questions or comments, because I, um, I can't always see from this distance as I'm sharing screens and stuff. Okay. All right. Um, then, how do I get there? There we go. Um, so, I, I want to talk a little bit about whose success matters. And uh, you're probably getting the cut of my jib at this point, um, but, but I think this is a really important concept. Um, our job is to be arrows pointing to heaven, right? Our, our job is um, to, to be the partners with God who have been blessed to be blessing the world. And it's overwhelmingly important um, that we, we take that seriously, that our job is to point away from ourselves and towards Jesus. Um, and, and again, to put it in really simple terms, Jesus is greater than the church, right? Um, our goal is not to elevate the church or Christian leaders, or our goal is to elevate Jesus, right? And uh, I know that sounds like a no-brainer, but in the history of the church, it has not always been a no-brainer. So, for example, um, one of the great arguments in the church has been, um, who is its head? And uh, the the language of who is the head of the church, who's the leader of the church, is one that was a hot button topic in the Reformation. Um, so let's just do a quick test to see if you are good Presbyterians. Um, anybody know who is the head of the church? What'd you say? Jesus. Yeah, okay, thank you. Jesus is always the right answer. <clears throat> okay, um, so... But we, we absolutely believe that, and I, I quoted Ephesians 5.23 and Colossians 1.18 that both 
point this out in, in as many words that Jesus is the head of the church. Um, but in the Reformation, that's not what most Christians thought, right? Because in the Catholic Church, they believed the Pope was the head of the church and used that language, right? The Pope is the head of the church. And the, the recognition on the part of the reformers was that um, if, if, if the goal is the success of the church or the goal is the success of the Pope or the goal is the success of our bishop or the goal is even the success of our priest, um, then we're really missing out on the purpose of the kingdom of heaven, right? Which is to follow and exalt and love the king. And um, I think this happens more often than we realize that people get exalted to a status um, in or out of the church um, where we start thinking their success is the success that matters uh, instead, of, instead of Christ's success. And um, as, a, as a sort of tangential explanation, um, maybe you remember this conversation. Um, uh, there was a quote by John Lennon who said, um, we're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Anybody remember John Lennon saying that? Yeah. Um, uh, hugely controversial, right? I mean, it was a huge deal. <clears throat> but part of the point <clears throat> was not necessarily um, who's better or more uh, and powerful, but just who's more influential. And whether or not um, it was true uh, there was certainly a case to be made that the Beatles had unbelievable cultural influence, right? Um, that maybe exceeded, for at least some individuals, the cultural influence of the church or of Christ. Um, there are a lot of people like that in our lives, um, that outside the church, that sometimes elevate themselves to that status of, of being... Um, more influential than Jesus. Um, but I'm actually more concerned about people in the church. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and, and we often talk about these, this idea of like celebrity pastors. Uh, to me, a celebrity pastor is somebody who's more famous than their congregation uh, and who, you know, does a sermon series that everybody sort of recognizes as just a launching for their next book. Um, who doesn't have time to meet with their congregation members or do counseling or pastoral care, um, who zooms in and out on a helicopter. Uh, I had a, um, this is not a joke. I, I had a, a, I knew a pastor once, I didn't know him well, uh, in a very, very, very large church. And they had multiple campuses on a Sunday morning. And in order to get him from one campus to the other in a timely fashion, um, they rented a helicopter every Sunday, and they literally flew him from the parking lot of one church to the parking lot of the other church so that he could preach on time. Um, you know, if your name's on the church sign and your name is bigger than the name of the church, it's a problem. Uh, and, I, and I think this is a challenge for us, right, in the church, whether it's the, the huge celebrity, massive people, or, or the whether it's just regular old Joe Schmo pastor or elder or deacon or it is very easy for us to start saying hey it's my success that matters rather than Christ's success that matters and even though we know Jesus is the head of the church we start acting like someone else is the head of the church uh, and so I think this is overwhelmingly important as we reflect on on what success looks like um, it's not my success it's not Jim Gates success it's Jesus success um, one of the challenging things here, and oh, by the way, it's not Covenant Community Presbyterian Church's success either, right? It's Jesus' success. Um, one of the challenges, and I'm not picking on celebrity pastors particularly, this is a challenge for, for all of us, is that there is a distinction between influence and attention. Uh, and occasionally I'll have somebody who uh, is being honored in a very visible way come to me and say, hey, I mean, I'm just struggling with this decision because th there's this huge potential to be honored and I'm really grateful for it. Um, but, you know, I also don't want it to be all about me. And how do I avoid, um, you know, this, this honor becoming something that just puffs up my pride? Should I, what, what do I do? Um, and, and I always like to make the distinction between influence and attention, right? So uh, I, I think if I'm seeking attention, 
that means I want people to focus on gym. Um, but if I'm doing something that ends up resulting in influence, and, and if I use that influence well, I might be able to more effectively be an arrow pointing you to heaven. And it all comes down to my motivation, right? It all comes down to why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so am I really interested and exalt in the name of Jesus? And is everything I'm doing to that end? Or is it slowly becoming a little bit more about me? Okay, um, so a little bit of an excursus, but I just think it's an important one as we think about this idea of success. Uh, all right, how are we doing? Oh, we're doing great. Um, so I, I wanna talk um, about this distinction between a Christian nation and a nation of Christians. And we're coming back again to what success looks like. So if, if our goal is not to gain um, a majority cultural influence, uh, but our goal is to follow Jesus more carefully, to exalt Jesus, and to hope that as we do that, the, the world wants to follow us because it's so attractive. Um, then I think we can pretty much say unequivocally, our goal is not to make Christian, America a Christian nation. I, I'm happy if it is, but that's not my goal. Um, my goal is to partner with Jesus, to invite the people of every nation to leave those nations and enter into the kingdom of God, Right? So uh, I want to ask everybody in America to come into the kingdom of God. And I want to ask everybody in Mexico to come into the kingdom of God and everybody in Canada and everybody everywhere, right, to come into the kingdom of God. And, and I just think that's a really important distinction um, because, again, um, when, when our goal is to, to reclaim the influence we once had um, on a cultural level in the country in which we live, it becomes very difficult, I think, to separate um, that goal and our own advancement. It feels like that's about our success and not about Jesus' success. Um, but if my goal is to partner with Jesus to invite everybody, everybody to come into his kingdom, um, I think it's easier to make it clear that, that it's Christ's success that I'm pursuing. Uh, and and I, I, just as a reminder, when we began this class, I think our first week, I played a song by Rich Mullins that I just love called The Land of My Sojourn. He talks about how much he loves America as his country. Um, and he has this one line, he says, I'll call you my country and I'll be lonely for my home. And I wish that I could take you there with me. Uh, I'll call America my country, but I'm lonely for my home, which is the kingdom of God. And I wish I could take you to my home and I want you to come and know Jesus. Um, and, and I just think that's such an important distinction for us uh, in, in this season, as we're thinking about what it means that, you know, more people don't go to church than ever, or more people list themselves as um, not believing in God than ever, um, or as we see our influence in the culture diminishing, uh, boy, uh, you know, it's so easy to, gosh, how do we get back to where we once were? And I want to say, um, I want, to, I want to get someplace with Jesus, right? I want to get someplace where all these people are seeing the incredible faith of, of the church at its best, uh, that they want to be a part of it again. And I think, by the way, um, at our best moments, that's what happened, right? I mean, the, the reason the Roman Empire became Christian wasn't just Constantine. It was because Constantine, um, he was the fulcrum, but, but the, the whole process was in motion because of the attractiveness of the church, right? That's what we, we need and want to be again. Um, okay, let, let, me, let me pause there for a minute and um, uh, get back so I can see you. There we go. Okay, uh, and I just want to say, so um, what, what questions do you all have? Or, or um, is this making sense about, about our goal, you know, that we want to be a kingdom of, an, uh, uh, a, a nation of Christians, not necessarily a Christian nation? Is, Questions about that, or, or does that sound weird to anybody? Well, I think we use the word Christian quite loosely. Mm. We should add a believer in there or born again because there's all kinds of labels that are called Christian, and people are using that sometimes against us. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Herb. That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, we talked about this uh, uh, like three or weeks ago or something, but 
you know, just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian, right? Uh, and just like I, I would say, you know, just because you jump in the pool doesn't make you a fish. And so, yeah, absolutely. The, the whole idea of being the remnant is that, you know, our first responsibility is to call back all those persons who claim to be following Jesus, but um, perhaps who haven't been told what that means or who have stumbled in their walk um, or who are doing it for cultural reasons, but not spiritual reasons. And as you say, to invite them to be something deeper, right? To, to be a truly devoted follower of Jesus and not giving lip service to that concept. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Other thoughts or comments or questions? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna keep rolling. Um, so I, I just wanted to, I wanted to end this section by talking about um, what, what we do, right? So if, if success for us is about um, drawing the world to Jesus, if we recognize that we're not trying to, to end this uncomfortable experience of being in the minority, but in fact, that there might be a, a minority even in heaven whose job it is, is to help everyone come to know God better. Um, and, and if we recognize the temptation to confuse our success with Christ's success, um, then, then how do we go about this process so that we don't make those mistakes um, and so that we don't settle for a lesser goal than this goal of um, inviting everyone of every nation to come into the kingdom of God. Uh, so actually, I think this is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, right? And, and this is where I think it is helpful to, to do a little bit of a reminder because I think the action items on, on tonight's conversation happened the last few nights we've been together. Um, so if I buy into this goal, uh, it means I gotta make this mental adjustment. I gotta, I gotta move on from the idea that this is a Christian country and everybody believes and say, no, they don't. And I, I need to help them believe. Um, and I have to recognize that my goal isn't to, to win some kind of um, competition for total cultural influence. Uh, I'm okay being in the minority. I'm okay saying, yeah, the whole culture thinks that you sleep with whoever you wanna sleep with and um, marriage is something you do after two or three years of living together. But in our little bubble, right, in our little remnant bubble, we're going to say, that's not what we think. We think that sex is this beautiful gift that God's given us for the context of marriage, to experience the union that approximates the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so, yeah, I know the whole world's doing this other thing, and I know it's totally normal for them, but, but we're not, and we're okay with being different. Uh, and that's that insurgent mindset, right? That insurgent mindset of saying we're okay with being different. We're okay with saying that the, the rest of the world is going to go um, right. Sometimes we're going to go left. Uh, and we're able to articulate um, our values as distinctive from the values of the world, right? The world says um, uh, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. It's just a disposable thing. It's going to go away. You're really this you're really this other part and your body is just a, a, a casing for the real you. And we're going to say, no, we don't think that's true. We think our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so it means, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drink to excess and uh, I'm not going to put poison in my body and I'm not going to sleep around and I'm not going to do all these things because um, we have a different set of values than our world does. And we're not going out on the street corners and screaming at people who don't agree with us but we are very intentionally, graciously passing on our insurgent mindset, right? To tell people, hey, we like that we're different. We're okay that we're different. Uh, and then uh, as Herb mentioned, um, one of our, our critical goals, one of our first tasks is to convert the church, is to go to those people that already have some experience of God, but who have, who have perhaps not made um, that life-saving commitment of giving their lives to Jesus, who are, as we mentioned, missing heaven by 18 inches, right, from uh, head knowledge to heart experience, and, and say, hey, you know, we need uh, to take on this world together. We need your help. You know, Christ wants you. Come be part of this adventure. And um, th that idea of, of uh, converting the church first 
is what we see again throughout scripture as the job of the remnant. Um, Jesus says, uh, I've come first to the lost sheep of Israel. Right? My, my first calling is to Israel, not to the Gentiles, um, but to the, the people who are supposed to be the people of God. Eventually, Jesus goes to the Gentiles. Eventually, Jesus sends us to the Gentiles, but he comes first for the lost sheep of Israel um, because that's our first responsibility as the remnant. Uh, and then we talked about this idea that, you know, as we engage with the world outside the church, we are going to co cooperate sometimes. There's going to be a lot of ways where we can partner um, with those outside of the spiritual remnant, those who don't know and love Jesus, as long as we don't compromise. Uh, and um, we said that we can work with people that, that don't claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, but we can't do anything that doesn't exalt Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? We can't do anything that um, we walk away from saying, boy, I don't think Jesus would be pleased with that. And so we have some limits on our cooperation, but where we can, we do. Uh, and where we can't, we stand up and stand out, right? Where we can't um, cooperate or, or um, um, find common ground with the world is where we say, hey, you know what? As Martin Luther did, here I stand, I can do no other. And I, this is not one I can bend on. And I understand if we're all in agreement, it's great. And if we're not in agreement, it's okay. I, I'm not changing my position because this is what God calls me to do and to be. Uh, and recognizing that in the history of the church, those have been the moments that have been most impactful for the world. Right? Uh, it, it was Martin Luther standing up uh, at the Diet of Worms that made the Reformation uh, not happen, but certainly continue to succeed. Uh, it was the early Christians refusing to recant their faith in Jesus, even upon pain of death, that made those watching them uh, in awe begin to believe. Uh, and of course, it's Jesus um, refusing to take the easy way out, Jesus refusing to be a Messiah without a cross, a Messiah without suffering, who um, by faithfully standing up and standing out, secures eternal salvation for everyone. Uh, so uh, as we think about what success looks like, that's, that's how we get there, right? Uh, and, and I just want to encourage all of us um, that this is a huge opportunity, right? This isn't a, a problem. It isn't a flaw. It doesn't mean that the system is broken. It's actually the way God's always designed it to be, and it's going to be this way forever, um, we have this awesome opportunity to own this identity of being the remnant. And if we do, um, God, who has done it again and again and again, will work eternally significant transformation in our lives and in the lives of everybody around us. Um, so uh, this is our challenge, right, is to be this remnant, to be this spiritual minority, uh, and to continue uh, to bring success to the name of Jesus. Okay, um, so uh, that's all I got to say about that. Uh, I'm really excited. Um, I've had a lot of fun thinking about this idea and it's really challenged me in some interesting and new ways. I hope it's been fun for you guys. Um, I do wanna change gears for a minute and for my last couple of minutes, talk about what we're gonna do next week. Um, so uh, before I do that, in, any other reflections on, on this idea of remnant before we talk about next week. Okay. Um, so uh, I want to try something different next week. And um, I have this desire to, to do some um, small group experiences on a Wednesday night for those folks that maybe haven't done a lot of small group experiences before. And what I mean by that is um, basically basically Bible study, right? Uh, but uh, without, you don't have to do any expertise. <laughs> um, so what I want to do starting next week is I'm going to do a class called um, Gospel, and it's really designed to communicate the, the core Christian ideas of, of our faith, right? To say, if, if somebody was to stop you and say, hey, tell me what it is that Christians believe, tell me, um, you know, the, the gospel message of Jesus, um, this class is designed to communicate that, right, in a really simple and effective way. Uh, we use the word gospel as an acronym, and um, what I want to do every week for the next six weeks, starting next Wednesday, is do maybe 10 to 15 minutes of explanation about a particular topic, uh, and then spend the rest of that time, the next 45 to 50 minutes, allowing y'all to be in small groups to have conversation 
about what that means and about how you understand it and about how we can share it uh, and what, what those ideas look like. And um, I, I don't know how that's gonna work exactly. It might mean that we have two groups or three groups or whatever, um, maybe we'll have more, um, but uh, I, I really want to give some opportunity for you to have more dialogue. Um, I love doing this. I really like teaching and I, I like preparing in this way. Um, but I, as I've mentioned to you before, I'm also cognizant that not everybody learns super well just listening to somebody talk for an hour. Um, so this is just a different attempt to learn in a new way. Uh, and I hope it'll be a chance as well to get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, so um, next week, the plan is uh, we'll begin this gospel class. We'll talk about uh, the first letter of my acronym gospel, which is G for good news. Um, and then I'll, I'll put you in little groups and we'll, we can meet in the sanctuary or we can spread out depending on how much space we need. And I'll have some discussion questions that are prepared in advance. And I'll just ask somebody in each group to say, hey, would you, you'll all get the questions, but would you kind of move this along? Um, the, the one big thing I'll say next time, but I'll mention tonight is um, I don't want you all in those groups to feel like your goal is to get through everything, right? I want you to um, feel like your goal is to, engage and have questions and have good conversation. Uh, and so if you get through one discussion question out of 20, um, but you have a great conversation around it, I'm happy. Um, I will make myself available to all those groups um, uh, during, if I can, and also afterwards, so that if there's questions that come up, any way that I can be involved, I want to be involved. But um, I love the idea of letting you all work through that on your own some as well. So that's how we're going to start next week. Any questions about that format? That kind of makes sense? Anybody scared? Okay, I'm just checking. Okay, awesome. Um, well, I, I'm really excited about doing that next week. And so we'll get some emails out of the church, but I hope you'll come back and try that out with us. And I will be in person next week. <laughs> At least that's the plan. Uh, so I look forward to seeing you not via computer. Um, but for now, let me, um, let me say a, a closing prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we are so incredibly thankful uh, that you have chosen to partner with us. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, we don't get to work with you because we are uh, more holy than others or more spiritual or wiser. Um, we know that it's your grace uh, that equips us uh, with these blessings. And we pray that we would again own the awesome privilege of being blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Um, and Lord, we pray that as we wrestle with this concept of being your remnant, um, you would give us the work to do uh, so that we would draw closer to you and that the world would see you in us and us and be drawn to you as well. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.